The past couple Sundays, we've been looking at the great promise that um, God gave us through the prophet Ezekiel, that God would give his people new hearts. God gave this promise at an absolute low point in God's relationship with his people. God's people had utterly turned their backs on God. They'd broken all of their promises to love God and to be faithful to God. They'd rejected God as their protector, their provider, their authority, and they'd chosen to worship other gods instead. In response, God had allowed God's people to be conquered by the Babylonians, which were an ancient foreign superpower. And the Babylonians had decimated Jerusalem, the capital city of God's people. They had forced most of the Israelites into exile where they experienced suffering and oppression. And it was into this dark period when Ezekiel spoke messages from God bringing light and hope for the future. Though Israel was far from God, though Israel was lost, though Israel was facing judgment for all of their sins, though Israel was not even sorry and was not asking God for forgiveness, yet nevertheless, God was going to have mercy on his people anyway to repair and to restore God's relationship with his people. God was going to bring them back from exile, back into God's presence, and begin providing for and protecting them once again. God was also going to cleanse them from all of their sins. And best of all, God was going to give them new hearts. God was going to come close to his people and breathe into the very center of their being, bringing their dead hearts to life, making their hearts new on the inside so that they'd have hearts which loved God and which wanted to please God. Last week, we were reminded that this is exactly what God has done for those of us who follow Jesus. God has given us new hearts, hearts which want to follow God. And yet we also acknowledge that it's messier than that in our experience, right? Even though we have new hearts, our experience is that we don't always want to please God. We're still a whole mix of conflicting motives. And we looked at why this was last week. That first, it's because the world around us pressures and entices us in other directions. And second, because our minds and the thoughts we think and our desires, the emotions that we feel, um, have an impact on our hearts too. Our minds feed our new hearts bad information at times, and our desires and cravings pull and tug on our hearts. And third, we saw it was because the devil also tempts and deceives us. So the world, the flesh, and the devil, they all battle with our hearts. And so it's not always so easy or straightforward to love or to please God. And yet it remains true, as Ezekiel reminded us last week, that for followers of Jesus, at the very core of who we are, we have new hearts. And we have been made new, and our hearts want to please God. And so I challenged us last week to remember who we are and to live out of our new hearts, to live from our new hearts. I encouraged us with these words, your father, he lives in you. Have you forgotten who you are? Look inside yourself. You are more than what you have become. Remember who you are, God says. You are my son, my daughter. Remember who you are. So this morning, I want to get even more practical and ask, how do we do that? 
How do we remember who we are? How do we live out of our new hearts? For help, I thought we'd look at these verses in 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16, because they really address this. Let me read you these verses again. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And here the Apostle Peter is giving us two ways, two strategies to live out of our new hearts. Now Peter doesn't use the language new hearts in this passage, but he expresses the same reality up in verse 3, which is the, the beginning of the lead-in to our passage. And there he says, you can look in your Bible if, if you have it open, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy, his great mercy, he has given us, what? New birth. New birth. As in, we were born once, and we grew up living one way, but then God came along and gave us a new birth. And as a result, we're starting living all over again, a new life, a different life. This new birth flows from the new heart that God planted in us. We are born anew into a new life, a new reality, as God has taken out that heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh, a new heart, so that as a result, we now have a new outlook on life, a new motivation we didn't have before to love God and to please God. The very core of us has changed, has been transformed. It's like a new birth to a brand new life. Well, in verses 13 and following then, the verses we're looking at this morning, Peter goes on and tells us how to live in light of this new birth. In verse 13, he talks about our minds, our thoughts. And Jenny, if you want to put up the slide, you can just leave it up there. Um, So in verse 13, he talks about our new minds. And then in verses 14 and 15 then, he talks about our desires, which as I mentioned last week, from a biblical perspective, are are, uh, pictured as residing in our gut. Because remember, while our hearts are are the deepest, most central core of who we are, our hearts can't do it alone because they don't function alone. Our hearts make decisions. They decide how we will act, how we will react, who we will be. But our hearts do it based on information they get from our minds. And our hearts are also constantly lobbied and pulled and tugged on by our desires, our cravings, our feelings. And so... To live out of our new hearts, we're going to need help both in the area of our thoughts and also in the area of our feelings and desires. And so first, Peter addresses our minds. He says, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. With minds that are alert and fully sober. We can't live out of our new hearts unless our minds are wide awake to the new reality which is taking place within us and which God is also working out around us and through us in the broader world. What doesn't come through in in the newer English translations is that Peter is alluding here to the Jewish Passover. The old King James translation in verse 13 makes this more clear. It says, therefore, 
gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. This is an allusion to how the Israelites were supposed to eat the Passover on the, ear, uh, on the eve of their deliverance from Egypt back in the book of Exodus. They were supposed to eat with their robes tucked up into their belts with their loins girded up so that they were ready to move. And Peter says that's how your minds need to be. Our minds need to be alert, ready, expectant, focused on the journey that God is leading us on. There's a great illustration of of this in Homer's epic tale, The Odyssey. Um, It's a story about how Odysseus and his men are journeying home from being away for years in the Trojan Wars. And along the way, they face many setbacks and and obstacles and challenges. And, And one of these occurs in the land of the Lotus Eaters. This land is is full of this intoxicating plant, which when you eat it, it it makes you forget all of your problems and all of your worries. In fact, it it makes you forget everything except your desire to eat more lotus. And and, and when they stop on this island, some of Odysseus' men eat the lotus. And as a result, they just want to stay on the island. They forget about home. They forget about their quest, and Odysseus and the other men have to literally drag them back to the ships and chain them there to get them off the island. There's also an allusion to this episode, I think, in in The Wizard of Oz. Remember Dorothy along the way on, on her quest to find her way home? She lies down in a field of magical poppies, and she falls hopelessly asleep. And the only way for her friends to wake her up is they've got to drag her out of the field into fresh air and then wait there for the effects of the poppies to wear off. And I think that's basically what Peter's getting at here. Gird up the loins of your mind. Wake up so that you're focused and ready for the journey that God is taking you on. With minds that are alert and fully sober, We've got to come to our senses and, and remember our quest. Remember the purpose of our journey. And what is the purpose of our journey? Where is God taking us? Well, Peter describes it this way. He says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. When Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming, he is going to bring us a gift of grace, an undeserved gift. And, and what is that gift of grace? Well, if you know the story of Scripture, then you know that it's the new creation which awaits God's people when Jesus restores all things and makes all things new. And what Ezekiel has told us and what Peter is telling us in verse 3 is that God has already planted this new creation inside of us by giving us new hearts. The new creation has been placed in our hearts. God has given us new hearts which beat for that new purpose, which delight in and desire that destination we're heading for. And so we've set out toward this incredible future. And as we allow our hearts to transform us, we come to taste the new creation, and to be fitted for that new creation. And as we gather together in relationship, our community then becomes a taste of that new creation. And then that new creation begins to spill out of us, to touch those around us, extending to them, drawing them in as well. 
And so we pray to that end as Jesus taught us to pray. Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom, by the way, is basically a synonym for the new creation. And so we seek first God's kingdom. We seek to be agents and representatives of the new creation. That's the quest. That's the journey that we're on. Just like Jesus was on that journey when he came and he lived on the earth and he began to teach his followers how to live in this new creation, to live this new creation life. And so as Jesus taught us, we, we forgive those who've hurt us. We, we work to reconcile broken relationships. We treat others as we'd want them to treat us. We work to protect others, to, to allow them to have a chance to prosper and flourish. We, we do what we can to, to help others find healing and, and freedom from their bondages. We, we fight corruption and oppression. And we point people to Jesus, the, the king who can plant the new creation in their hearts too and enlist them in this quest as well until the king comes back one day to finish the job so that the new creation will fully come. That's the journey we're on. That's the quest. And so Peter says, stay awake. Stay alert. Fill your minds with tales of the far country. Just like C.S. Lewis has his characters do in the Chronicles of Narnia. When the battle gets tough for them, when, when the journey is long and it seems evil is going to win, what do the good guys do in the story? They repeat the old stories. They retell the old stories of Aslan and of Narnia and the prophecies which are promising a restored future. To keep their courage up, to keep their spirits strong, to keep their minds focused on their aim and their goal. Let me talk practically for a few minutes at this point about one really practical application of this. And that is that if we're going to have minds which are alert and fully sober, we've got to break free from the screens, from the TVs, from the devices. I know some of us, when we get home, we've had a hard day at work, we're tired, and we just want to veg in front of the TV. I get that. And I know that little hit of pleasure we get when, when we check our messages, when we check our accounts. But what do these screens up, wind up doing to us day in and day out? They distract us from our purpose and from our destination. They confuse us with all sorts of other purposes and perspectives which encourage us to live for today and to pursue all sorts of other destinations. And so pretty soon we forget. Our minds begin to fall asleep. We lose sight of where we're ultimately headed. We stop thinking ahead and we just start thinking about the present moment. It reminds me of, of when our kids were, were two-year-olds, when they were little toddlers. You, you ever go on a walk with a toddler <laughs> you're trying to get somewhere but what does the toddler do they get distracted every five steps right they, they stop and they want to pick up a rock and then they want to stop and pick up a flower and wander into someone's yard to look at something shiny that they see there every two seconds right <laughs> and you're like come on what we're never going to get there if every two seconds you get distracted i wish i had my stroller to pop you into so we could just go but that's how a lot of us live today, constantly distracted, constantly wandering off the path. In some cases, we've totally forgotten where we're going in the first place. We have new hearts, 
But our minds and our thoughts are distracted, are, are forgetful, are, are seldom thinking ahead. And so pretty soon we're not listening to our hearts. We're not living from our new hearts anymore. And so Peter's trying to wake us up here saying, wake up, think ahead, don't get distracted, don't live for today. You have new hearts which beat for more than that. If you're going to live out your new birth, you're going to have to get your mind focused on what's ahead when Jesus is revealed at his coming. So that's the first bit of practical advice Peter gives us. Second, he moves on from our thoughts to our desires. In verses 14 to 16, our desires are the next thing that that pull and tug on our new hearts. So he begins, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And here, Peter's acknowledging that before we had new hearts, when our minds were ignorant about Jesus and the amazing future that Jesus came to give us, we had nothing better to live for than our own desires. Our desires to have what we wanted and to get get it as soon as possible. Our desires to be liked, to be popular, to be uh, important to someone special. Our desires to achieve and to accomplish and to be successful and important. Our desires for a great meal or for a sexy evening or for a strong drink. It's not that all of these desires are totally wrong. It's rather that it's rather what these desires did to us or maybe still do to us. And that is that these desires are, are like that two-year-old toddler again, but in, in a different way. They, they throw fits, these desires. They, they throw tantrums until they get what they want. Whatever our desires are, and different people have different ones, but whatever they are, our desires, they pull on our hearts. They, they fuss and they complain within us, right? Until we give them what they want. You ever been on a diet and, and you see that juicy hamburger and feel those desires fussing and complaining inside of you? All the time. <laughs> and so Peter says, don't conform to those desires anymore. Don't let them call the shots. Don't let them hold sway in your life. You have a new heart which beats for something greater than the satisfaction of your desires. So don't let your heart, your new heart, be molded, be shaped by your desires. Instead, choose transformation, which is what your new heart wants. And then Peter gives us another reason, another motivation to to live out of our new hearts and to not let our desires get in the way of our doing so. And that is that we now belong to a new family. Listen to Peter's language. As obedient children, verse 14. Since you have a father, verse 17. And like father, like son, like parent, like children, verse 16. Be holy because I am holy. The father says, we belong now to a holy family. Now, I don't know about you, but when I picture the phrase holy family, I picture Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, and they're all looking really serious and serene, and they've got halos around their heads, right? And if they were to say, hey, you want to come be part of the holy family? We might think, okay, so I've got to fold my hands and look really pious like you guys do, and I'm probably going to wind up looking down my nose at all the unholy people who are laughing too hard and having too much fun. But that's not 
what holiness is at all. I mean, let's not forget how many parties the holy Jesus went to when he grew up. And at one, his holy mother was egging him on to make more wine, evidently. So, so what does holiness mean then? Holiness means basically two things. First, it means special. Set apart, not common. Holy is the word, we get the word holiday from. Holy day. A, a holiday is not a common day. It's a special day. We treat it differently from all the regular days. Maybe we take off work. Maybe we get together with family and we celebrate. Maybe we have certain traditions to remember why the day is special. To be holy is, is to be separate, to be different, to be special. That's how God's family is because that's how God is. And so it's a privilege to be a part of God's family. And it's a lot of fun because there's a lot to celebrate. The new creation is coming. Yet it's also a responsibility. It reminds me of a story uh, from the boyhood of, of the future, future British king, George VI. Evidently, his mother, Queen Mary, used to often remind him when he was a boy, um, before she would take him to public events, she'd say, Bertie, never forget who you are. Because he was a royal prince, and so he had to behave accordingly, as is fitting for a member of the royal family. In the same way, if we are members of the holy family, we can't just go along with our desires. We have to choose transformation. Second, holy also means pure and clean. Have you ever felt dirty? Yeah, like, like you really needed a shower. <laughs> Maybe you'd worked out on a hot day and you were all sticky and sweaty. Maybe you went camping for the weekend and you were covered with you know, dust and Kool-Aid and melted marshmallows and who knows what else. Or, or maybe someone threw up or had an accident and you had to be the one to clean it up. You were the caregiver or whatever. And it got more messy than you hoped and you were just desperate afterwards to scrub down and to get clean. And what if you couldn't? What if you had to go to work or you had to go to school that way? <laughs> or you had to go on a date? Feeling gross, conscious of how you smelled and, and how you looked. Isn't that a terrible feeling? Isn't that why you turned to Jesus in the first place? Because you realized you were dirty and gross, morally speaking. That you wanted to be reconciled to God, to, to come back home, back to God's presence, but you couldn't because you were all a stinky mess. And so you asked Jesus to clean you up. And Jesus did. And wonder of wonders, God also planted in you a new heart. A heart which now wants to be clean and to stay clean. A heart which will now transform your life. You know, when, when humanitarian development organizations um, work in developing countries, one of their strategies to help prevent disease and to save lives is to teach the local people about hygiene and sanitation. Because some of these people don't know about germs. And so they dump their sewage in the river and then they bathe in the river. Or uh, they work all morning, they fertilize their fields with manure from their livestock, and then they eat lunch without washing their hands. And so they get sick, right? They, they get dysentery, they get scarlet fever. 
And so humanitarian workers try to educate them about cleanliness and purity so it can help them live healthier lives. Well, that's what God does for those that he invites into his family. God teaches us what is a clean way to live and what is not a clean way. So that we can live healthier lives. Lives which become fit for the new creation. Because the new creation won't stay very new if all the muck and the disease of the old creation just gets trampled into it. If people are selfish, if, they're, if we're prideful, if we're oppressive, if we're unfaithful. And God won't let that happen. And so God teaches his family who will enjoy the new creation with him how to live like their father in good ways, in healthy ways, in new creation ways. God has already planted in us new hearts, hearts which beat for this new creation, which desire to love our Father, to be like our Father, to live this new kind of life. And yet we have to choose this transformation because we have other influences too. We have our old desires which keep pressing and pulling on our hearts, trying to mold us back into the people we were before. But now we have a new motivation because we have a new family. Isn't it amazing when, when people love someone, how they'll, they'll sacrifice their old desires, their, uh, their own desires, for, for the sake of that person that they love? Of course, mothers do it all the time. When, when they're pregnant, they pass up delicious treats because it wouldn't be good for the baby, right? And once the baby is born, mothers give up sleep. They give up freedom to do what they want to do. And, and parents, on and on it goes, right? where we're still sacrificing our desires for our children. But it isn't just parents. I mean, just fall in love. <laughs> and suddenly, what we want doesn't matter so much anymore, right? I, I remember when I started dating Anne, and pretty soon I find myself playing tennis with her, which is something I never really did before. And, and she's browsing through my commentaries and theology books. Suddenly, we're becoming interested in what the other person is interested in. We want to do what they like. As human beings, most of us, we know how to say no to our desires for those whom we love. And God has invited us in love into his family. And our Father has given us new hearts which love him. And when we're in touch with that love, we can say no to our old desires which press in on us. Okay, so two ways Peter gives us to live out of our new hearts. First, our minds have to feed our new hearts good information. Our minds have to wake up and focus on where we're headed. We have to think ahead to, to not get distracted along the journey, but to remember our purpose, our quest, the new creation. And then second, we have to put our desires, our cravings in their place. We belong to a new family now, a special family, a clean and pure family. And so we have to choose transformation. We can't let our old desires mold us. They'll, they'll just lead us back into the muck. We have to let or to live out of our new hearts, hearts which beat with love for our good and holy father. Hearts which long for that day when we'll live with our new family forever in God's new creation.